Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Today, we are very lucky. We have Shama Tatler, who is the Interim Deputy Leader, Cabinet Member for Finance, Resources and Reform, and Cabinet Member for Regeneration, Planning and Growth for the London Borough of Brent, to talk about one of the most controversial and topical points that we are discussing at the moment throughout local government, and that is the housing crisis. Um, Shama, thank you so much for taking the time to speak, because I know how incredibly busy you are. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Very hot this week in London, um, uh, but I, I'm enjoying the sun, enjoying the sun. It's it's such a British thing. It's like, where's the summer been? And as soon as it comes, I'm literally there with a fan. I've had to turn off because it affects the quality <laughs> of the recording. But um, no, it's, it's there. So um, hopefully yeah, we can heat it down nicely for this conversation. So if before we jump into this, could you give us a bit of a background as to kind of why this is an area that you're so passionate about? Um, so... I came into politics, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a history teacher um, by profession. I came into politics um, primarily to kind of look at molding the area that, and the community that my daughter uh, is growing up in, um, and also to look at education. One of the things that um, really compounds life chances for anyone is the quality of housing and the access to housing. Um, you know, my dad's a builder, so I know some of the trade and some of the issues that go on in terms of planning. But it's really important for me um, because I just see that anything that we try to do as Labour politicians, as councillors, as community leaders, the only route to success or opportunity for our residents often is the quality of housing. And actually, we have a moral as well as political duty to enable housing to come forward. Um, and I. I take my role, that role seriously. I don't think it's right that in the role that I'm in, I sit on my hands and not try and get as much housing as I can. I don't know how long I'm going to be a councillor for, but that's up to the electorate. So therefore, in the time that I'm here, I want to make sure that Brent's doing its part to um, deliver housing and, and, and supply. So if you could set a scene for us in Brent then, and why specifically in Brent, housing is becoming such a critical issue, just for the listeners at home, that would be really useful. So um, Brent is a very diverse borough in all sense of the words. You know, we have hundreds of languages spoken in the borough, lots of different communities. And in, within that, we have lots, lots of residents with different social and economic um, status. Um, we have a third of the residents who are economically active, inactive. Um, and the borough is divided in terms of geography as well as opportunity and, and, and so on. Um, in terms of housing, so... At last count, if we take all housing bans together, we had over 20,000 households on the housing waiting list. We were making some real headway in lessening our temporary accommodation list from a couple of thousands down to you know, less than a thousand. What's happened over the last year, and obviously we have a big council house building programme, um, what's happened over the last year is that we're seeing numbers of households who are coming to us homeless at the civic centre 
go from a handful to now over, like, sometimes you're averaging 120 a week, 130 a week that are people coming who've been evicted or you know, are homeless, you know, classed as homeless coming to the civic centre. And it's become so much more of an acute problem because these are often residents who previous to Liz Trust and sort of the Conservative disastrous budget were able to afford to live in the home that they were in, you know, both parents of two households, two people working in a household were able to manage it. The interest rate raise, inflation, Brexit and construction costs has meant that house building slowed down. Landlords are getting worried in terms of interest rate rises on their mortgages. They're coming out of the PRS market. Um, and so people are struggling to pay rent in areas that they once were paying rent and were able to pay rent. Um, and obviously wage, wage stagnation has contributed to that. In addition to all of that, what we've seen for a while is lack of supply, which impacts obviously house prices. Um, and I, we often have young people who wanting to live and work in the borough can't afford to do that. And so I feel like it's incumbent on a council or local authority when you have a housing target and you've got need to make sure you're delivering it, 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 it in all ways. So it's an incredibly challenging, and that is probably the cornerstone, one of the most in, kind of intense issues that someone would experience to, to become homeless. Um, and that, I mean, those numbers, I mean, that is absolutely staggering. Um, talk to me about the difficulties councils are facing at the moment in terms of like, why is it so hard for them to deliver the housing numbers that are needed? There's, oh, there's several reasons for that. And and, it, and I will say Brent are one of the more successful boroughs in able to do that because we've, we've working within, we've pushed the boundaries of the what working in the parameters that we got, we've got within planning, within housing, how we work with the GLA uh, and so on. So in terms of our own council house delivery programme, um, land availability and kind of how much we're able to do on our own sites and how much we can push density on our own sites. Um, and currently inflation and interest rates are really making things difficult for our own programme. So we're we were having to recost or re redo some of the the numbers for our, our own programs, I and mean, we're seeing deficits deficits of any individual schemes to seven to eight million pounds pre you know pre twenty twenty two, and now it's, it's it's extraordinary the gap. Um, construction costs are increasing. Um, availability of skilled workforce, and that's you know whether it's our own build or whether it's um, private development builds um is 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 really making an impact um and so brexit's had a massive issue and the market itself if you look at the our planning figures we've always been fairly successful in having developers come to us regularly uh, and, and often and, and in numbers but things are slowing down there's real uncertainty in the market as well to deliver other tenures of housing housing associations are limiting or not doing as much building new builds as they can because they need to look at managing their stock so things around damp mold fire safety the second staircase issues um you know planning applications that we had given permission to um previous to the second staircase ruling and now coming back in because they need to have redesigns which often lessens the number of units being delivered because they need a second staircase or they have to have a complete redesign 
And then that obviously adds cost and impact on viability. So there's a whole plethora of reasons that things are really difficult. Um, and for us in specifically, we, we have pushed where we can on big sites, on brownfield sites and, and land that's got more scope. A lot of our sites now are smaller sites, which come with its own difficulties in terms of construction, but also residents nearby who are concerned about an application of a high rise potentially coming near them. So it's it's a whole plethora of reasons and it's like a perfect storm at the moment. It feels like it. And I, I guess really the the question, and again, for people like myself who just are not, obviously you're an expert in this and, and, and obviously you, you see both the political side and the officer side and trying to find solutions. But what needs to change in the housing sector and the planning sector to facilitate the numbers that we need to order for society to have enough housing to be delivered? What what needs to change? I think first and foremost, it's got to be a collective political attitude to housing and not be and not use it as a political football. Every every party talks about housing as a crisis. Yet when it comes to a much more local level, you see political parties, and I say this you know, kind of across the board, that local nimbyism often places fear into local politicians about things being delivered within the within planning. You know, Michael Gove rescinding on the housing targets meant that so many local authorities pulled back on their local plan, you know, work, which for me is an abdication of responsibility both at Westminster and at local level, because actually that sets a, that's the guidance of what is acceptable locally and what isn't acceptable locally. So I think there's an attitude and cultural shift that we need to take. Um, and I think if we're going to realistically look at delivering housing in the numbers that we need to meet demand and therefore reduce price, reduce cost, we're really going to have to take a look at planning reform. And this is not to say planners deliberately want to stop housing to come forward you know planners in Brent know that my attitude and, and my leader's attitude is we want development therefore they will have the freedom to make sure that we, they scrutinize applications and things are approved but what planners I think get frustrated on I get frustrated about is if the planning policy local plan national plans regional plans are adhered to on that planning application and I've seen this in, in, in other authorities the planning application could still be refused, even if it meets policy, because of the whim of a committee. And that is what is incredibly frustrating. And so I would want to see an element of change within the planning system, where if an application meets planning policy, and the planning policy has gone through a democratic process in how it's been adopted, then there really shouldn't be a reason as to why that planning application should be refused if there's issues about mitigation around I don't know parking or amenity space that should be covered in a planning report um that, that's what I'd love to see so see more of and an obligation for local authorities living up and delivering on those housing numbers and I think one thing we haven't got is better we I'd love to see better CPO powers to councils and I'd love to see um at the moment councils are penalized uh through something called the housing delivery test where if we give planning permissions, if things aren't delivered, the councils are penalised. And actually, we don't have the powers to make somebody deliver on a planning application. So what powers do the councils need to ensure that a planning application that's been given permission, that is strategically important and delivers hundreds of homes, 
how can we ensure that those are delivered rather than just sat on uh, for land banking or, or um, you know, land value use? That's really, really interesting because I mean, I've come from I know a lot of heads of planning um, throughout the UK, and the the kind of the the gesture that was given out of this this uh, this this pot of money to help with the resourcing issues in planning functions to try and drive it through, I felt really addressed to deal with the main issue. Um, like you said there, I completely agree that the thing is, it's like with anything, isn't it? You know, everybody wants uh, green energy until they build it on their doorstep, or you know, we need to have more reformative prisons until it's on my doorstep. But you're absolutely right. You, you can't have that level of pushback if all of the political and obviously all of the technical elements have been met to. It makes absolutely no sense. On the CPO, that's really, really interesting. Who would you be taking the land back off? Would that be off the people that own, like, you know, who would you be taking that? that? So if anyone is listening, a CPO is a compulsory purchase order. So in that instance, Shama, like, who would that, who would the council be taking the, the land back off or the asset off? Well, I think, I mean, there are, there are places where you get developers or applicants who, um, speculatively get planning permission and they don't build and if there is no meaningful journey or meaningful um, attempt to, to deliver housing and have those conversations with the local authority then I think there's an element of well you know if, if it's a strategically important site that delivers infrastructure as well as housing the public sector should be able to say we'll CPR it and we'll deliver it ourselves with money from central central government pot um, I mean, it was quite radical, and I think it forced developers then to say, actually, we'll, we'll just deliver. Mm. What I am, you know, about is that at the moment, a developer can basically put a, a spade in the ground and say they've they're they're enacting the planning permission, um, and we have no powers to say, well, you need to build. Don't just put the shovel in the ground. So, is there a mechanism? Maybe if not a CPO, then is there a mechanism in rescinding the planning permission, or we we deliver the housing instead? The public sector delivers the housing instead. It may not take the land or the the, the the CPO it, but is there a mechanism in which the public sector then builds that planning permission out if there's if if there's a deliberate sort of delay on that? Um, because we need the housing, and I just think, you know, good developers and good or you know conscious developers won't do that you know um they want to see their asset realized so we we need to make mechanisms in need to put mechanisms in place to, to, to do that it's making it commercially viable isn't it but also you're right it's using the full advantage the full length of you know the mm -hmm. carrot and the stick um to kind of promote growth i mean one thing i've got and i mean i mean this might be missing the, the the point entirely but you know we talk about confidence in the market and the speed with which housing purchases go through that I think could affect the entire sector. I've never known why we haven't adopted like the Scottish system. You know, where if you put an offering on a house, it's legally binding. Because mm. I, I don't know if that would would also help, you know, in terms of moving the system forward and move the amount of people getting involved with it. And I've always thought that. And I'd, I'd be really interested to have like a housing, you know, expert on the, you know, to kind of say that would, you know, because I, I feel that would be a, a great way to to speed up the process and to, help support the market yeah. from that perspective going back to what you talked about it uh, sorry. Um, sorry, sorry i think there's definitely conversations around how mortgages and how people get mortgages and, and, and the buy, buying market along with how we need to look at leasehold and the reforms needed to 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 re leasehold I, I just think that actually if we if we want to look at affordability in the round 
whether it's the rented sector or the, the purchasing rent sector, I think supply needs to be the ultimate goal because mm. it then it the market then will adjust to the fact that it's a supply and demand market. At the moment, demand does not meet need. Well, sorry, supply doesn't meet need. Um, and therefore it's 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 not in the hands of the purchaser or the person that needs the housing. No, that makes complete sense. I mean, you, obviously you're at the coalface and the political side, you talked earlier about housing being used as a political football. Why why is housing such a minefield? I think it, I've kind of thought about this a lot, this question a lot. And the, ultimately, I think it's often councillors, and I've, I've had, this, had this conversation with councillors from across the country, it's the fear of, holding on to a council authority as an administration it's holding on to your seat and more often than not the people who they are worried about will 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 talk about well in you know the next election we'll vote for anyone who opposes this development and you see the rise of independent councillors who are elected on the back of i'm going to stop this development coming forward um and so often you you find those who are well established in their area who've got mortgages or paid off mortgages older who've, who've had the benefit of being able to purchase them having that extra leverage of saying i've got the time to argue and, and put a case to a councillor on planning committee um and i think that's why it ends up being a political football yeah it also ends up being a political football in in administrations or council authorities where it's a marginal so it can flip between one election to another election and often you've and I've seen this across the country, particularly in the district councils, where um, conservative councils predominantly have lost control. Uh, and this is pre 2022, uh, so pre COVID, where often it will be a green Lib Dem kind of coalition or, or one or the other campaign specifically on local plan or housing or development issues. And then the council um, or the, the council's lost administration and you've got that all over Oxford, Oxfordshire at the moment, where you've got councils being run in stark opposition to what they've traditionally been run by or the party traditionally, traditionally have run them because the opposition have basically uh, come together as a coalition to oppose a local plan. And so then they're in an argument with Westminster over that. And it's, it's, it's extraordinary, um, you know, and that it, it really shouldn't be that way. If we all acknowledge there's a housing crisis, then we all have to accept that there are going to have to be some sacrifices made for everybody in some way, shape or form. Um, because at the end of the day, my my real struggle is that we don't talk about the generational inequality that has resulted as, as a, of a housing crisis. And often I talk to, to councillors um, about that if this development comes forward, more than likely it'll be younger people who, who are moving into these developments. But secondly, they will be your constituents too. Who's, whose voice are we talk, listening to then? Who are you advocating as well for as well? So it's it's a balancing act. Um, and and as, as the sort of cabinet lead, I think my role is to kind of balance the needs of my ward councillors with the strategic need to build more housing. It's a, it's a really fascinating role that you have to kind of sit between those two, not necessarily opposing views, but like, or parties, I should say, but it is so difficult to get these principally very simple um, ideas to work when you have such differing viewpoints and kind of agendas within the community that 
that you serve. I mean, last question for you, Sharma. Obviously, you guys are doing some great stuff at Brent. We've talked a lot about the off-air. Is there anything that you are particularly proud of that you'd want to just talk about now? I think um, two real things. Um, we have a... We, we got the highest new homes bonus last year at the council uh, in the country. Um, and that's a direct result of the attitude of our fantastic regeneration and planning service who taken what the leader and I have talked about in terms of our attitude to development, saying that we want more development in the borough. And so they've created systems and processes and protocols and in place to enable that the planning service and the regeneration service can adapt and be flexed to what we need. Um, so that, that's one thing that I'm really, really proud of. The other thing that I'm really proud of is the fact that our teams are really geared to making sure that we look at quality and community involvement in, in all planning applications. There's an expectation for both the council-led schemes and private development to work with the community um, in how in, in, in whatever guys that looks like, and some obviously are better than others, but also the quality of design. We are we've just done a um, design awards in Brent, and it's been really successful. We've mm. been at we're a pathfinder pilot for DLAC on good design, and we, we're voyaging ahead of that. And my my view is that actually some of our council-led schemes and social housing, as a result of that push for good design and community involvement, had led to these council schemes being given awards in sectors that only used to be only private sector used to get. And we were one of the first local authorities to have awards for local authority led schemes. Um, so that's the drive. I want to see more community involvement um, and how we do that and the democratic process within the policy making, not so much the decision making, but definitely more in the, in, in the, in the policy making. I just think I take my hat off to yourself and the political part of the council and to the the officers on the the operational side. It's amazing what councils can do when they really pull together with a clear uh, political leadership team and 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 obviously the operational team as well. Um, that's all we've got time for today, guys. It's been a, a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Emma. No problem. Thanks, Matthew. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, as did I. It's been fantastic. So for all of you listening at home, uh, feel free to have a look uh, online at the great work that's happening at Brent. But thank you for listening. Have a great day and I look forward to uh, speaking with you soon. You have been listening to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Remember, your local council does some amazing work, but you can help. So remember to vote and be engaged with the work they're doing. If you like this podcast, please like, share and give a five-star review. If you would like to feature on the podcast, have any shout-out of excellent work being done by a local authority or have any topics you would like covered, please email me at truthaboutlocalgovernment at gmail.com. Truth About Local Government. Local government is at the heart of what we do.